to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Episode 48 Welcome to episode 48. This week we continue on our travels around Hokkaido visiting a number of sites uh, around the Taisetsuzan National Park. The Taisetsuzan National Park covers 2,267 square kilometers around the highest peak, uh, Mount Asahi, uh, but also envelops a few other areas that we'll look at uh, today, including some shots from near the Shikari Betsuko Lake uh, and the Soonkyo and Tenninkyo Gorges. Uh, also, uh, we'll go up Mount Asahi itself. We pick up on the trail after travelling from the Furano and BA area that we looked at uh, last week and head over to Soonkyo, uh, the Soonkyo Gorge via Shikaribetsuko Lake. The 16th of July 2006, as I set off from the Furano and BA area, driving along some uh, country roads, but mostly mountain roads to Soonkyo, where I'll stop for this uh, day. The drive uh, over took quite a long time, uh, as uh, when you get up in the mountains, it often became so misty that visibility was down to around 20 meters or so, uh, making it rough going uh, for some of the, some of the parts of the journey. As usual though, as we always uh, look out for the best of any situation, uh, and I was presented with a, a number of great images along the way. Let's get right down to looking at these uh, with the first image for today, number 1065. Here we see a number of uh, silver birch trees protruding from a bed of uh, ferns and grasses. This scene was a few hundred meters before a village uh, with some hotels and pleasure boats, etc. That are typical of a uh, a Japanese lake. Uh, you know, they're, they're often this kind of uh, tourist trap uh, along the alongside certain parts of Japanese lakes. Uh, the uh, particular lake that we're at now is uh, Shikari Betsuko. The ko at the end actually just means uh, lake. So uh, this is uh, the Shikari Betsu Lake. I didn't shoot the actual lake though, as you can see uh, there was a fair bit of, of fog, we were in the middle of a real uh, pea super, as they say in England, uh, and the whole area was enshrouded. Uh, mountains uh, pretty much make their own weather, and many of the mountains um, that uh, make up the Taisetsuzan range do just that, making clouds. In this shot, made at f10 for 120th of a second, ISO 100, I've basically concentrated on the trunks of the trees. Though there is another shot in the gallery at martinbaileyphotography.com that was shot vertically and includes the top of the trees and the slightly brighter area of the sky as the, uh, the, the sunlight breaks through. Uh, once again, I'll include a link in the show notes um, that will list all of the shots uh, from the trip in case you're interested, but we're not going to include that particular shot today. In this uh, shot that we are looking at, uh, not having the top of the trees allows us to focus on the repeating patterns of the trunks and how they quickly fade out of visibility as we go further back into the scene. In fact, many are uh, 
reduced to just uh, a few barely visible vertical streaks in the dark shadows back there. I have added two-thirds of a stop exposure compensation due to the white mist causing the camera to underexpose. Uh, mist or fog can be quite tricky because it's basically very white uh, if there's sunlight above, uh, but if, if not the scene can actually be quite dark so there's no there's not really going to be any one rule fits all uh, basically you have to keep your eye on the histogram if you're using digital if you're using film I'd say um, you know that for relatively light mist as in uh, just quite a lot of white uh, diffused light all around adding half or two-thirds of a stop would be a good place to start uh, it will ensure that the mist is registered as a white haze at least and not just the entire scene uh, made dark and underexposed. I actually spotted this location while driving and literally just pulled up into a lay-by at the side of the road. In addition to the birch trees there was some wildflowers uh, right there at the side of the road. In image number 1067 we can see some wonderful yellow flowers with long stems reaching up from the embankment. I actually have not been able to ID these flowers yet, so if anyone knows what they're called, please drop me a line, either via the forum or via the contact form on the website. I position my tripod to get down to just a little higher than them, uh, to keep the height of the yellow flowers with, within the same region, but allowing us to see the uh, out-of-focus areas, uh, the, the heads of the, the yellow flowers in the background. This leaves the bottom third of the frame without any yellow and also we can see that the tallest flower in the background has also been included. It's difficult to see with the size of the web version but the stems are actually all covered in tiny droplets of water from the mist, uh, making for quite an effective shot when viewed at full size. I usually like to get a little closer than this uh, but if you look at the EXIF data on the website you'll see that I was shooting at a focal length of 173mm and not the full extent of the lens uh, which is 200mm. I can't claim to have had any kind of clear plan behind this though and I don't quite know why this works for me uh, other than uh, it just looked better to me through the finder when uh, composed like this. In post-processing too I tried cropping the image uh, just a little tighter but again, I really didn't like it, uh, so this is totally uncropped. Uh, this was shot at f4 for one hundredth of a second with ISO uh, 100. I was no longer using exposure compensation as I was close enough to the subject now uh, for the mist to really not have any effect on the exposure. If anything, I think that they might even be uh, you know, just a tiny bit overexposed. Uh, but I think that this uh, this helps to make them stand out uh, against the the darker background, and you know basically I I think that I got this uh, this shot just about how I wanted it to be. The mist here was rolling along the mountain from my left, and so the left side of my head and clothing was uh, getting quite wet by now, and I was uh, I was only protecting my camera uh, body. Uh, the lens is uh, pretty much. Uh, well, drip-proof, I'm not, not so much waterproof, but um, I was only really uh, protecting the camera body by draping a cloth over it, so I decided to go back to the car. Something to note here is uh, that uh, stopping at the side of the road in mist can be dangerous, 
uh, when visibility is low. It's definitely advisable to only do so when there's a lay-by and not just sort of stop in the road. Um, And that will, you know, a lay-by will allow you to get your car totally off the road uh, or maybe a side, you know, if it's somewhere where there are side roads going off the main road, just get it off the road to stop stop cars from basically ramming into the back of it in the mist. Uh, Put your hazard lights on as well to give approaching cars a chance to see you even if you are in a lay-by. And, you know, I'd, I'd basically, myself, I'd wandered quite a way back from the lay-by. And so it took a little while uh, to see my own car's hazard lights uh, flashing through the mist as I approached the car. And although I'd been, uh, I'd been close enough to have heard a crunch if anything had happened, I must admit that I was uh, relieved to see the lights intact. The other danger as well is, of course, yourself getting hit, especially uh, because not too many people uh, come equipped with hazard lights. And basically, uh, make sure you do, that you don't uh, just sort of wander out into the road in some kind of a state of photographic euphoria, um, you know, and then basically you should be fine. Okay, so moving on. As I said, the ultimate goal for today was Soonkyo. Uh, this literally uh, translated means the gorge of layered clouds. Having arrived at the hotel in the mid-afternoon, and uh, I took a ride up the ropeway or cable car to the mountain known as Kurodake. Uh, which translates as Black Mountain, because basically of the the very dark uh, the, the skin or the the, you know, the the covering of the the highest peak, the colouring I probably should say, of the highest peak there. I shot some photos on this first day, but I was really taking more of a stroll to cap off the day, and uh, and then I went back to the hotel for dinner. The following morning um, was when I wanted to do a little bit more serious uh, photography and I was uh, first in the queue at the 5.30am ropeway. Uh, It's amazing how busy this ropeway gets actually. The single car holds um, probably 50 or 60, I'm not sure about this one, Uh, but it was full. You know, there there was uh, most of the people that are are heading up there uh, at this early time are either for they're there for hiking uh, you know you, they use the ropeway to get a, a head start up the mountain or for photography uh, so there are very few sort of general tourists at this time i shot a few images of the mountains uh, with the clouds filling the valley uh, but i was not overly happy with uh, these so we'll move on to one example of the other reasons why i was here uh, there are a few um species of alpine plants basically. Uh, I shot a fair few images uh, but only really liked just a few of them. The next image that we'll look at today is number 1075 in which I caught a moment when a fly uh, and what I think is a type of bee uh, are standing on a on a fl- the flower of a plant uh, known as uh, Ezokimbai in Japanese. I've found uh, the academic name of this plant but I couldn't find the common English name. I'll update the site later if I find this uh, but the focus of this image is really on the bee and the fly. I shot this in manual mode with an aperture of f5.6 for 160th of a second at ISO 100. I've pushed the yellow a bit on this uh, shot to show how bright the yellows were and I'm really not sure that it works. Uh, depending on your monitor, this uh, this might look a little overdone. I wanted to quickly mention with that a hint that I got from Landon or BK Secret uh, on 
the uh, the members that you know on the forum uh, at martinbaileyphotography.com. Um, following last week's episode, basically, I mentioned a technique that I have started to use recently, whereas I uh, use a mask to reveal some slightly less saturated areas of an image that I've processed uh, with the landscape picture style on my Canon EOS 5D. When certain areas of the red channel is oversaturated um, in the raw image, I was copying the same image and lowering the red saturation and I've seen detail drop, dropping back in for the most part so far. Landon had a great point though uh, that the detail might even be lost in this version uh, due to the picture style. And from now on what I think I'll do in these cases is process one of the images uh, in, the, in the landscape landscape picture style for the overall punchy look that I'm after but then process a second version probably in the standard picture style which does not have the overexposed reds or in this case yellows and I'll use that as a mask uh, to drop in those areas this way I'll be able to keep that overall uh, punchy look but not at the expense of detail in the highly saturated areas so thanks for bearing with me on the discussion on this uh, Landon and I ended up with a, a real gem of information there uh, for my workflow, so thanks very much. Double thanks for that one. After spending a few hours up Black Mountain, I drove uh, a few hours uh, to Tenninkyo, which is uh, just a, a short distance from where I'd spend the night on the 17th uh, in preparation for the main attraction of this week, uh, the following day. We'll get to that later. Tenninkyo is another gorge and is the location of the Hagoromo Falls, which uh, we can see in image number 1078. I've spoken about these falls uh, before, way back in episode 8 actually, and, and I was basically talking about getting in close in landscape shots. If you haven't listened to this episode uh, and you know, you, you'd like to catch up with it, you can go back uh, and download it in iTunes if you don't already have it. Uh, but remember that all episodes are still available for download from the podcasts page at martinbaileyphotography.com. By default, only the last 12 episodes will be displayed, but there are a few links under the index menu and uh, under each episode uh, for different ways to create the list and display the table. One is to display a text indexed and just uh, the latest episode. You can select this and then just click on episode 8 in the, in the text list. Uh, and then that will basically display episode 8 in, in the very top of the table, the only episode. Uh, it will contain the download links for the MP3 version and the enhanced version. And you'll also uh, be able to use the streaming player and listen to it directly there on your desktop. Uh, another link will uh, display all episodes to date in one big table, which makes browsing for them uh, more you know, interesting. You can actually just read through all of the topics and things, but the table is pretty big, and now we're at 48 uh, episodes, so it takes a little bit of time to load. The third link uh, is just to go back to the default view of the latest 12 episodes. Anyway, I've uploaded a few images, uh, images of Hagoromo Falls uh, from the latest visit, but there's just one that uh, I wanted to look at today, this one, um, because basically it's from a different angle. 
I took a walk uh, further around the river and over a bridge uh, nearby and noticed uh, that from this angle you can actually see a third fall way up in the mountains there. Uh, at this side uh, you can only see a small patch of white but I was actually quite happy to see this extra detail uh, that I'd, I'd never spotted before, I didn't even know it existed. Most of the images that I've seen of these falls are of the entire falls uh, from the first location. I made a point in episode 8 that um, it's always uh, good to get in close to parts of the falls, parts of the scene uh, that interest you, as I did just by shooting the two top falls uh, at that time. But this time, time I'd found another view, and I, you know, like I said, that I didn't even know existed. I guess what I wanted, wanted to impress on you uh, here is the importance of ex exploration. It's, it's pretty obvious, and I, I know that most of you are going to be doing this anyway. Uh, but you know, I've, I've mentioned before, uh, turning around every so often uh, to find that a scene is behind you uh, that you didn't really think about, you were, you were looking forwards. Um, and, you know, basically it's important to just explore other angles or, or just take a, a little walk around a different area that you weren't uh, particularly aware of in the past. Um, of course, it helps when you are out on your own or just uh, with your better half, as I was on this day, um, because then you don't have to follow the schedule of a large group, which is probably why I didn't explore more the last time I came here. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, a little bit of... Uh, exploration will probably pay off. Uh, I shot this image, by the way, with the ND8 circular uh, neutral density filter to give me a slower shutter speed, uh, as slow as one second at f22. Something else that I like about this image uh, that I wanted to talk about is that from this angle you can't see the basin of the waterfall. Uh, the water just kind of disappears uh, behind the trees, giving the image a feeling of continuity. Uh, we've got the, the three falls, we've got the start up there. We don't even know if that is the start. There's obviously water coming around there uh, from the, the the creek or the valley or whatever we call it. And then we have the second waterfall in the middle and the third one. But because we can't actually see the third one hitting a basin, we, we get a kind of feeling of continuity in the three steps. I guess one last thing to mention before we move on would be that there's just enough mist uh, above the falls in the top of the scene there to make that tree in the top left stand out a little against the background, even with the, the deep depth of field uh, that the F22 aperture gives us. After a few hours in this area, I drove to the hotel for today, which is a location um, about one minute uh, by car from the car park of the Mount Asahi ropeway. In addition to the flower fields of Furano and the rolling hills of BA that we looked at last week, uh, going to Mount Asahi, or Asahidake as it's known in Japanese, was another highlight of this trip that I'd been really looking forward to. One of the reasons was because I'd really enjoyed my visit here the previous year uh, with Yoshiaki Kobayashi-sensei, uh, one of the top uh, Japanese nature photographers and the person to whom I owe a lot of my knowledge of Hokkaido to. And I wanted to uh, take my better half there this time. It was another early start, uh, at the, the following day that is, again queuing for the very first ropeway, which for this one is 6am, and then taking a steady walk uh, up the remaining slope after getting off the ropeway 
uh, to the Sugatami Pond that we can see in image 1079. You'll see a dramatic sky with the tip of Mount Asahi visible in the upper left quadrant and the sulfuric fumaroles uh, will uh, be seen there bellowing out their poisonous sulfuric steam uh, into the atmosphere just below. The lighting was tough here and although I got a number of shots with acceptable exposure to see much of the detail in the sky and the reflection in the lake, uh, but in all of them, one was really only visible at the expense of the other. Once again, I used a tripod to ensure that I got a number of shots exactly registered, uh, some exposed for the sky and some for the mountain and the lake with the reflection uh, of the mountain and the sky in it. Uh, this is the result, having merged the two, uh, or two of them, two, two pairs in Photoshop. I actually spent a fair amount of time on this image to get this uh, to this point, which is quite unusual for me. The water and mountains are one and two thirds of a stop brighter than the sky, uh, which was uh, already at minus one stop to start with. I merged them together along the line of the top of the mountains. I also applied a tone curve adjustment layer to bring out the mid-tones in the mountains and the shadows a little bit more. And I finally raised the saturation again by an adjustment layer uh, to bring out the color of the, the mountain itself and the patch of uh, blue sky in the top right there just a little more. Uh, what I'm really doing here, though, uh, is trying to bring the shot back to what my eyes uh, that have, I must say, a, a much greater dynamic range than my 5D allowed me to see. One of my favorite uh, Ansel Adams quotes is, Dodging and burning are steps to take care of mistakes God made in establishing tonal relationships. Ansel left us uh, with a lot of uh, a wealth of amazing artwork, uh, but also a wealth of quotes too. So back to the shot, I was standing at, on the edge of the pond for this image, and I was pleased that I'd taken my big tripod, uh, as it allowed me to extend this, uh, a single leg, the front leg, much further down and drop it into the water so that I could get uh, close enough to not be able to see the banks of the pond uh, in the bottom left and right corners. I was also pleased to be able to make this shot uh, this time as the pond was almost totally covered in ice and a covering of snow when I visited uh, just a few weeks earlier than this in 2005. Sangatami, the name of the pond, actually literally means uh, the or to look, to look at the form or shape of something. Uh, it was definitely possible to do that on this day with the added bonus of uh, that dramatic sky, so I was already quite pleased that I was up here at this time in the morning. The thing that was not really in my plan, because it wasn't a problem the year before, was the hordes of midges. There were a few mosquitoes around, both last year and this, but this year the midges were out in force, having a, a feast basically on any bare flesh that they could find. Uh, such as my, my arms, uh, basically, I, I was wearing a, a t-shirt uh, and also they were flying around your eyes, which was pretty annoying. Uh, if uh, you do ever plan a trip to this area, then I advise that you bring some insect repellent. 
I found that it worked pretty well for the midges uh, if I sprayed a lot onto my clothing and in my hair and basically just sort of a good covering to keep them away. Without it, they just they were just uh, really uh, everywhere. I was also preoccupied uh, with my photography, so I wasn't too bothered by them. Um, but although I'd really look forward to showing uh, my missus uh, this place, she couldn't really enjoy it uh, because of the bugs. Luckily, there were um, much fewer bugs uh, as we walked around the or away from the Sagatami Lake uh, to the area that I shot the next image I'd like to look at, which is number 1081. I had switched my 16 to 35 millimeter lens for the 100 uh, to 400 millimeter, and I was now also switching myself from a landscape photographer to a wildlife photographer. My biggest goal for this part of the trip was shooting three things, uh, the first of which being this Siberian chipmunk. There are a lot of them around. I, we saw a few on the day. Uh, they're not difficult to find up here. Uh, but it takes just a little bit of patience to get them out on a nice background like this. Uh, not a lot, but a little bit of patience. Uh, the bed of heather and flowers uh, makes this a great backdrop. And as the whole area is undulating, it's easy to get a piece of something in the foreground too. Uh, nicely out of focus, adding a little bit of depth to the image. This cute little guy was shot at f5.6, the widest aperture for this lens at 400mm, for one two hundredth of a second. I was hand-holding, so I raised the ISO to 200 to get a reasonable or reasonably fast shutter speed. Any slower than this, and I not only risk a camera shake, but also these guys don't stay still for very long, and even the slightest head movement can cause subject blur if you're unlucky. So keeping a relatively fast shutter speed is uh, advisable. The second thing, uh, or rather the second type of subject uh, I was looking for uh, or looking to shoot is the reason I'd lugged my 600mm f4 lens all around the country and up this mountain today. That is uh, some of the rare species of bird that I heard can only be found in uh, this altitude. Uh, above the tree line that is, um, at around 2,000 metres. The first shot I wanted to look at uh, is image number 1082 of a male pine grosbeak, again on a bed of uh, green foliage. The white flowers adding an extra point of interest in both the foreground and across the back is, I believe, wild rosemary, but the most striking thing, an obvious uh, thing, is the bright red, or scarlet even, uh, colouring of the grosbeak. These guys are also not as difficult to shoot, to shoot as you might think, uh, but you really have to set yourself down in one spot and wait. I was shooting with the 600mm f4 with a 1.4 extend or 1.4 times extender, so the effective focal length was 840mm for this image. That allowed me to get the subject uh, in pretty large, and this was uh, not cropped at all. Uh, I kept the aperture wide open at f5.6, which is one stop down from the lens's f4 because of the extender, and the shutter speed was 1 640th of a second. I also upped the ISO to 400 as the focal length was long and the uh, these guys also move around a lot. So I had a number of images that uh, 
were not usable because of subject blur, even at this speed. Two minutes after this shot, I shot the next image, which is number 1084 of a female pine grosbeak. This was actually a little frustrating as a pair had come very close to the place that I had set up my 600mm on the tripod and levelled it. As levelling the 600mm is pretty important to make it possible to swing it around on the Wimberley head without going off level, uh, it's not easy to just lift it up and take it back a few steps, uh, especially on loose rock uh, like the surface that I was standing on. The male was in the background though, and literally just a few feet back from this female, and the only realistic option that uh, I had, and what I planned to do, uh, was removing the 1.4 extender, and then also rotating the lens in uh, its mount, so that I could shoot in the vert uh, vertical position. Basically though, I saw this shot, um, it, one of the frustrating things is that the extender had only been on the camera for a few, or on between the camera and the lens for a few minutes. Uh, but as I saw this shot, I I decided to bag this one before uh, trying to shoot the pair, uh, because the chances were that they'd fly away, and I'd lose uh, the chance of this shot as well if I started messing around with the camera uh, right now. So after I did get this uh, this shot, I think I'd probably made around five or six frames, maybe maybe less, uh, and I'd, I'd really just taken five or so seconds uh, to shoot this female, and the pair flew away. So the shot was not to be. Uh, I did get this great, really close capture of the female though, so I was happy enough. The possibility of the double shot will probably haunt me for a while though. Uh, hopefully that will be a driving force to take me back here for an extended period uh, in the near future. This shot was made again uh, at f5.6 for one four hundredth of a second this time, uh, and again at one at ISO four hundred. The clouds were rolling in more and more all around, and it was raining on and off now. We were around twenty minutes from the ropeway station here, and had decided to start back around the footpath when I noticed a Siberian ruby throat. It was quite a way off, and I haven't included the image in this podcast, but if you're interested, take a look at image number 1085 in the gallery. Uh, what I did here basically was place this uh, bird in its environment, uh, making it a part of the landscape with the uh, large patch of snow in the background, adding some contrast and graphic detail. Uh, it's, I, I like the shot, but I didn't want to make this uh, podcast any longer by including it, so... Uh, if, you, if you'd like to go and take a look, that would be great. I'd given up on capturing a good shot of the ruby throat as it, uh, it seemed a little shyer than the gross beak and uh, also uh, you know, the, the weather was, was getting uh, slowly worse. And as I did make, make my way around the footpath towards the ropeway station though, there was one singing right there, just singing its head off in some foliage, maybe 15 to 20 feet from the path. I had no time to level the tripod, I literally just threw the 600mm f4 onto the Wimbley head. Uh, if I remember rightly, I didn't even um, screw, you know, tighten the locking nut. I was just holding it in there with my hand and using the tripod like a monopod without opening the legs. 
The first handful of shots had a large pack of uh, patch of foliage obs- obscuring the bottom half of it, including uh, the bird's legs and tail. I took a number of steps to the left, though, and luckily this uh, little guy didn't fly off until I'd grabbed another six or so frames. In the last image for today, uh, number 1086, you can see the offending clump of foliage to the right of the ruby throat uh, that I now have in the frame in its entirety. Uh, There are just a few green needles around his feet, but that's fine for a bird shot, and he's still singing his head off for me. I was still shooting with the 1.4 extender attached, and for this shot, the exposure was 1 500th of a second, again at f5.6 and still ISO 400. In all of these last four shots, you'll see that there's a nice catchlight in the subject's eyes, which was caused by the nice big diffuser box, which uh, was basically the overcast sky. This really worked to my advantage, as I didn't need a, a clear sky for the shots, and uh, it also gives a nice even light for for the entire scene and doesn't throw any nasty harsh shadows anywhere. The cloud was now starting to cover the top of the mountain more uh, more often than it wasn't and the rain was falling more often and heavier each time. There was another type of bird that I was hoping to uh, be able to shoot today and that's the nutcracker. Uh, known as um, something that translates as a spotted crow here in Japan. In Japan. Um, and I, I didn't see um, any close-up. I believe that I saw a pair uh, fly a, a fly past a, a few, I don't know, maybe 50 feet or so in the distance, and I, I hung around for them for a while, but uh, they didn't show. The third subject uh, of the three that I mentioned earlier uh, that I was hoping to shoot today um, was another cute rodent called uh, Naki Usagi, which uh, it basically means a crying or you know or squeaking uh, rabbit in Japanese, and uh, I believe that this is called a pika in English. Uh, this is a little, it's a little round rodent, uh, again mainly found at these high altitudes. Uh, the Asahi Mountain here, or Mount Asahi, is the highest peak in the Taisetsuzan uh, National Park. And for that matter, it's the highest uh, peak in Hokkaido at 2,290 meters. The national park includes the Taisetsuzan Volcanic Group in the north, the Tokachi Volcanic Group in the southwest uh, that you can see in a few of the images that I I shot um, in the the summer here last year and uh, I think the year before, uh, when I came in 2003, sorry. Uh, You can see them in the distance of the Furano uh, shots. And the other volcanic group here is the Shikaribetsu uh, volcanic group, which the lake that we I mentioned earlier uh, takes its name from. Um, all of the locations that we've looked at today uh, in this podcast are in the Taisetsuzan National Park. I'll include a link to a Wikipedia page on the park uh, in the show notes uh, so that you can read up a little more on it if you're interested. And it also contains some links to, to more information on the uh, Mount Asahi and other uh, places of note in the park. To wrap up for today, by the time we'd walked around uh, to the last place that I might be able to photograph some wildlife, the weather had really turned uh, for the worst and it was now raining quite heavily, so we headed for the ropeway station. Uh, After sitting in the cafe at the ropeway station for maybe 20 minutes, uh, wiping down my 64mm lens and the tripod as well, 
and eating a Snicker bar and drinking a can of uh, hot coffee from the vending machine, we headed for the queue to get onto the ropeway to go uh, back down the mountain to the car park. And as we did, the sky flashed and uh, you know, the lightning uh, had started. A minute later, I heard the announcement that the ropeway would be stopped until the threat, threat of lightning uh, had passed. And it was uh, a great chance to back up my uh, format four gigabyte memory card and check out the images uh, as that you know that I'd just captured. The ropeway was out of action for ninety minutes uh, before we heard the announcement that they would uh, start it up again. The maximum number of people uh, that can board uh, on to the uh, you know onto the cars in of the ropeway is, I believe, one hundred for this one. It's a slightly larger car than the the one that we uh, rode on to go up to the Solnkyo to Black Mountain. Um, and it took uh, three cars uh, to get all of the people uh, that were in the queue uh, down the mountain uh, once it had started, uh, to, started to move again. And luckily, uh, the third car, uh, the number of people that, the maximum number of people that could get on finished uh, directly in front of us. So, uh, this was a relief as I'd rather wait another seven minutes uh, for the next one than to be crammed into the last car. Uh, you know, I, I like to get away from Tokyo to stop having to be crammed onto trains. Uh, so I, I was kind of relieved there. But another benefit that I didn't really think of at the time was that uh, we were the first to board the next car and therefore were able to choose exactly where we wanted to sit. So like a big kid, uh, the big kid that I am, I uh, headed straight for the front of the car and staked my place on the right, uh, the right-hand bench, so that I could uh, look out and get a bird's-eye view of the mountains on the way down. The glass was misted over, and I had uh, to keep wiping my uh, my hand uh, across the window to, uh, you know, to to, to demist it. Uh, but I was able to see pretty well. And as the the cable car pulled out of the roadway station, and the ground fell away below it, I was reminded of dreams that I have occasionally in which I fly over lush green mountains and lakes, uh, with the mountains looking very much like the terrain I was uh, currently looking down on. I have to admit that the hair on the back of my head started to stand on end a little, uh, partly because of the excitement of looking out on the actual scene, and partly because of the connection between it and my dreams. I've always been a bit of a dreamer, um, even when I'm awake. Uh, you know, My imagination runs away with me sometimes, and you know, I'm I'm not trying to say uh, anything profound here. I don't know why I have the dreams. Uh, maybe I was an eagle in a, uh, maybe probably more more like a sparrow, in a, a former life. Uh, maybe my uh, my something leaves my body at night and goes for a spin around the world like Superman. I don't know. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to be profound here or anything. I, yeah, I'm just I guess daydreaming again. Um, but uh, more than likely, you know, it's it's just the, it's just the imagination and. I don't know for sure, and I definitely won't lose any sleep on why this uh, scene seems so familiar to me as I look down um, through this uh, through the, the partly misty window. The original inhabitants of Hokkaido were a people called the Ainu, and in the Ainu language, these mountains are called Kamui Mintara, and this means the Garden of the Gods. As the car floated down the mountain further and I looked out onto this amazing land, I could see why. I uh, I was listening to a a recorded monologue that was being played, uh, you know, inside the cable car as we as we rode, and it was telling the story of the seasons that the mountain cycles through each year. Spring comes to Kamui Mintara, 
in June. As you can see from the photo of Mount Asahi, uh, reflected in the Sugatami Pond that we looked at earlier, uh, there's still snow around in July uh, when I visited, uh, but this um, is when all of the alpine plants bloom, they race to do what they have to do before the cold sets in again. In August, just two months after spring arrives, autumn is in the air. And in September, the trees turn uh, all the colours imaginable uh, before leaving the trees bare in October and the snow starts to fall and the mountain is once again locked into the icy grip of winter for the next seven months. You know, seven months. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there thinking, geez, this is a long, long winter. And, you know, the, it's, it, well, it's basically it's more than half a year. So I have to admit uh, that with the excitement of looking out across this familiar land from a bird's eye view and listening to just uh, how desolate a place this becomes and for how long, I was having a hard time keeping these couple of uh, probably pretty huge teardrops that had uh, now balanced themselves precariously on my lower eyelids from tumbling down my cheeks. Uh, a couple of... Uh, times I could I could feel my chin turning into a peach pit you know how it does when you sort of and you get all choked up and I knew that I had to get a grip of myself as I started to drag myself back to reality I heard the hum of voices uh, from the other 99 people in the the single cable car uh, started to sort of kick in as though someone had turned the volume uh, right down for the six minutes or so that we'd spent floating down the mountain Back to reality and the precarious tears that started to dry up uh, without falling to my uh, extreme relief. I couldn't help but feel incredibly humbled thinking of the pika and the Siberian chipmunks and the brown bears for that matter and other animals that uh, make this harsh wilderness their homes. The people that live in the valley into which we just descended also endure the harsh winters for probably for the honour of living in such a place. I also felt a little pang of guilt as a tourist that turns up for just a few days spending just a few hours in the mountains themselves, paying a fare uh, for the ropeway and getting lifted up to the heights in total comfort. Not only was I humbled by the harshness of the, the life uh, that uh, you know, the, the animals and the people live in a place like this, but also by the fact that people have fought long and hard to make these areas into national parks to protect them. People around the world spend large portions of their lives, probably their whole lives, um, on occasion, trying to uh, talk governments into turning areas of natural beauty into national parks to stop them from being flattened as the human race spreads out across the land like a voracious red weed in the, uh, in the War of the Worlds or something like that. I mentioned earlier that Ansel Adams left us with a vast number of great quotes, he also has one um, that uh, goes, It is horrifying that we have to fight our own governments to save the environment. This really brings home to me so many truths uh, that I think that we should all bear in mind. Realistically, as photographers alone, we can't do a lot. Um, but you know, capturing na uh, nature beautifully and sharing your images with others uh, helps raise awareness of what beauty there is in the world and hopefully raises the desire to protect it. Conversely, uh, capturing only beautiful scenes can lull us into believing that all is well, uh, when the reality is that many of the beautiful places we're honoured to be able to visit are only uh, here because of the valiant efforts of 
those before us and those that still today and will tomorrow fight to preserve these areas and the wildlife that depend on them to survive. Okay, so on that rather solemn note, we'll finish for today. Uh, before we do, I'd like to apologize for this episode being a few days late again. As I mentioned before, my day job is pretty hectic right now and I'm not getting enough free time in the evenings to prepare and record uh, the podcast according to my usual schedule. It's also uh, being compounded by the fact that I'm, I'm having to try to find the free time to post-process the images uh, from the two-week trip that I'm talking about right now. Uh, before I can select the ones that I want to discuss. I'd like to quickly remind you of the current assignment on depicting cultures. Remember that it will be possible to upload your entries until midnight on Sunday the 20th of August, uh, which is just over a week from now. If you uh, already have your image in mind, and you don't think that you'll have a chance to shoot anything else before the deadline, please upload it. Uh, Also remember that if you do come up with uh, something else uh, that you'd rather... Uh, you know, put into the you know, enter for the competition with, um, then you know you you can always upload that and delete your first post, um, or move it into one of your own personal galleries uh, by clicking on the edit file information button under the image when displayed at large size. Voting will start uh, on the assignment um, at the point that I lock the gallery for uploads uh, at the end of the twentieth. And I'd like to request that as many members as possible vote. Uh, so, you know, so far the uh, the trend seems to be that only the people that are, or only maybe a few more people uh, than those uh, that are actually entering the assignment are voting. Um, you know, but all members um, of the members galleries, that is, uh, the members galleries site are able to vote. So, so even if you aren't interested in the assignment, if you're a, a member in the members gallery site, uh, it would be great if you could take a look and uh, voting will end on September the 3rd and I'll announce the winner in the following podcast. Uh, and as usual, uh, once the winner has been announced, I'll enable the, qu- the comments and rating in the assignment gallery so that you can use it in any other album uh, to discuss the, the images. And uh, though the, uh, the ability to actually delete your own files will be turned off um, after that point because I'd like to I'd like to keep um, a record of what happened uh, in the assignments, the the images that were uploaded for the assignments uh, for future reference. Finally, once again, as a reminder, I'm uh, requesting all listeners to think of a number of people that you know uh, that are interested in photography and mail them with a link to the podcast, either the top page, the website, uh, or the podcast page itself, or even uh, use a link provided with each uh, podcast on the podcast page to to mail a direct link to your favourite episode. We need to raise awareness of this podcast to keep it moving forward. Thanks to those that are already spreading the word. I know that there are a lot of you that you are, that are. are. And thanks in advance to those of you that you will start today. (laughs) So have a great week, whatever you do. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.